Welcome to the Ministry Leader Podcast, where every week we explore ministry practices to help leaders leverage their limited time for greater impact with young people. I'm your host. My name's Brian. Chase has the day off today, but look forward to having him back next week when we can record again. As you know, we've kind of taken a pause on discussing any specific ministry practices, and we've kind of shifted to what we've called documenting the changes in youth ministry here in Indiana and across the country. But today, I'm excited because it's time to start thinking about re-entry, re-engaging in ministry, in-person ministry with young people. As you're listening to this, I recognize that your state and your local community may be in a different place than we are. But uh, we are at the point where we are discussing and considering what our plans are moving forward, our plans to re-engage in ministry with young people. So we're excited to be here, but there's a tension, right? There's a there's a tension of the need that we all feel to get right back out there and get back to the things that we love and get back to re-engaging the students that that need hope, that need people, that need social interaction and the the students that we just love to engage with. So th- there's that balanced with the tension of this is still a very real concern. COVID-19, the coronavirus is still out there. We are expecting, even as we reopen our state, we are expecting more and more people to be infected by this virus and and deal with the, the ramifications health-wise, family-wise, and ministry-wise of all of that. So we do have to continue to take this seriously, but we, at some point, need to begin re-engaging in in-person ministry. It's a desire that's very real. And so I just want to start off by acknowledging that. We are in ministry because we love people. And when we can't be with people, that's a challenge. That's a struggle for us. So I want to acknowledge that young people need this engagement. They are social creatures. This is a time in a young person's life when they are um, becoming the, the person that God intended them to be. They're trying to discover that. They're trying to figure that out. They're making all sorts of choices. And so much of that happens in the context of social interaction. And without that, it's it, it can land in a place for any of us. Uh, it can land us in a place of despair and hopelessness. So for the, the sake of hope, we need this interaction. We need to re-engage. But here's the caution We can't let these needs that we have as leaders and that our students have as teenagers and as individuals, we cannot let those needs drive our decisions when it comes to re-entry or reopening or re-engaging, however, whatever phrase you like to use. So today I want to talk about some considerations for uh, re-engagement in ministry, some things that we we have to consider before we step out there and get back to life as normal, whatever normal is going to look like. Again, we talked a few episodes ago about normal not being normal ever again, that there will be a new normal, and that new normal, I think, will be a better normal because we will, through, through a time of refining and hardship and re-evaluation, we are going to understand and learn and create what ministry looks like in this new world or potential new world. So we, some things we want to consider. Now, let me just give this disclaimer. 
this is um, not, these are not recommendations. These are just things to consider that everyone, every individual leader and every organization that you are a part of is approaching this differently. Some are coming at this very cautiously. Some are coming at this like the coronavirus wasn't even a thing and they're ready to get back to it. So I don't know where you or where your organization stands on how you are approaching re-entry and re-engagement, but these are just considerations that we need to uh, take into account because there are families and young people that we are dealing with that are also on both sides of the fence and all across the spectrum on this issue. So the first one is to follow the guidelines of your local authorities. So beyond your church, beyond your ministry, beyond the, the leader at your ministry site, everything that we do must fall within the guidelines of your local and state authorities. Now, again, every state is in a different place. Uh, the coronavirus hit some states much harder than it hit others. And so just because I say something that we're doing here in Indiana doesn't mean in Washington State or in California or in New York that it's appropriate to do. So again, just back to my disclaimer, follow the authorities of your local state and local authorities, and as well as your ministry people leading your, your site. So the second one then is consider the population that you work with. So let me give you an example. Here in the state of Indiana, we are in phase two of reopening, getting back on track in our state, reopening the economy. And what that does is it allows restaurants to be open at 50% capacity. It allows us to meet in groups of 25 or less and continue to practice safe social distancing guidelines. But we work primarily with teenagers, and so we have made the, the call, and it was a hard one. It was a lot of discussion. It was a lot of reading and research and talking to different people in local ministries and churches and insurance folks on what the liability considerations are, and then following the lead of local schools and local youth programs that are still not open. So just because we can doesn't mean we should. We work with the teenage population that, um, you know, they may be healthier than, than most, but they can still be carriers. So if you've, you, you've tried to get, you've had, you've, you're in youth ministry, you've had a lot of teenagers in a room before, and it's difficult to keep them apart. It's difficult to keep them separated. So consider that, consider their behaviors, consider the fact that maybe they haven't seen people in a long time and are just excited to give a high five, shake a hand, hug a friend, um, and how, how can you police that? How can you control that and still follow safe social distancing guidelines. So just because you can doesn't mean you should. So we are limiting, though we can meet in groups of 25 or less, we are sticking to individual connections, individual face-to-face connections while social distancing, potentially even wearing masks if you're closer than six feet apart and you're, we're encouraging everyone to remain outdoors with the fresh air and just to keep a safe distance from one another. So consider the population that you work with. Are they healthy? Are they high risk? All of that needs to be a factor. The third thing to consider then is can you social distance safely? And I know I mentioned that 
in conjunction with number two. But are you meeting in a in a small space? Are you trying to gather in a space where it really would be difficult to maintain safe social distancing? Even at my, my local church, we're trying to figure out what this looks like for us to meet as a congregation and recognizing we're not a large congregation and we could potentially be all in the same room at the same time and social distance. But if everybody shows up on the same Sunday, which is highly likely since we've been apart for so long, it's going to be very difficult to social distance. How do we set up our chairs? How do we set up our space to where that can happen safely? So consider your ability to maintain safe social distancing by the orders of your local state governments and authorities and churches. Uh, The fourth thing is the size of the group. And again, something we've already touched on a little bit, but is if, if the state says you can meet in groups of 25, should you meet in groups of 25? Again, maybe that's based on you're staying outside and everybody's spread out and it, it feels like maybe that's okay. Are you a group of 25 that's meeting in someone's basement for a small group Bible study? That would be kind of a challenge. And so all of these things we need to consider as we look at the size of the group and where we meet. Then the fifth thing I want to suggest as a consideration for re-entry is can you provide personal protective equipment, the PPE equipment that we're hearing a lot about, the masks and gloves and whatever is recommended in your local area? Can you provide that? I know there are organizations that are making those available for nonprofits and churches and ministries. Uh, Can you get your hands on enough of those to make sure that if you do have a gathering and you do re-engage in ministry, that you're not expecting every student to show up with a mask? They might. That would be something to encourage. But if they don't, do you have to send them home or can you provide them with a face covering, with a mask to continue to, to be there and engage in that activity? So consider how you might or might not be able to provide that sort of personal protective equipment. And then the sixth thing is, should you add wording to your parental consent forms or your liability and medical release forms? That if you are going to start gathering as a group, even if it's a group of two or three or less than 10 or whatever that number is that you set as a ministry and as an organization, consider adding some wording to your parental release forms. So um, maybe you've never had those before for small groups. Maybe that's a whole new thing in general, but we want to make sure that parents understand the risks that they're taking with allowing their son or their daughter to participate in whatever organized activity that you have planned, whether it's a small group Bible study or a day at the park to toss a Frisbee a day, you know, just meeting somewhere to have lunch at a picnic bench. But the fact that you're organizing it and bringing people together, do you need to add some wording to that parental consent form and medical and liability release? But here's the thing. At some point, we have to decide when it's worth the risk. Authorities say that Depending on who you listen to, authorities say that this virus will infect two-thirds to 75% of the population of the United States. Many will not be many will not have symptoms. Most will recover, but some will not. They will have severe cases that will 
stick with them and have lasting effects through the rest of their life. And many people, as you know, are dying from this. So there is a risk, and we have to weigh all the risks as we take this into consideration. But at some point, we have to decide what is worth the risk and when it's right to take that risk. So I just want to share two scriptures with you as you take all of these six things, and there's likely many more that you're discussing at your local site. There's there's probably a lot of local nuance to some of these decisions, and we in, actually encourage you to lean into those things. But there's two scriptures I just want to share that that may give us some guidance in all of this. The first one is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 6.12, and it's Paul talking to the Corinthians, and he says, in quotes, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so here's why this one has come to my mind in conversation and even in my prayer times and study times is this, that just because we can doesn't mean we should. He's talking about sin and sexual immorality in this specific context, but I think this principle translates to the time that we're living in right now. Just because local governments say we can meet as larger groups doesn't mean it's the wise thing to do. And then the second one is from Proverbs chapter 8, and it's really simple. And it says, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? And it takes me back to the second part of 1 Corinthians 6.12 that I've already read. He says, but I will not be mastered by anything. You see, we started this podcast talking about the need and the desire that we have to get back to in-person relationships, and that's a very real thing. But as I said earlier, and I'll say again, we cannot let that need and that desire drive the decisions that we make. It's real. We have to pay attention to it, but let wisdom cry out. Wisdom is calling out to us, and we need to listen to the voice of reason, the voice of wisdom in all of this, even as we have the needs. So there's a tension we have to manage. We have, there's a tension we have to balance. So my encouragement is seek the Lord, seek wisdom, seek his voice. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. And if we're, if we're seeking wisdom and we're seeking the, the voice of the Lord in all of this, I believe we'll make really wise decisions in how we engage and when we re-engage in ministry with young people. Get up, get up. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Ministry Leader Podcast. We will be back next week, and my hope is that we will continue to be talking about re-engaging in ministry with young people, and we're not taking steps back, but we continue to take steps forward, and we continue to blaze new trails and create new methods of engagement and sharing the gospel with young people in each of our communities and across the country. Oh.